And uh, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Uh, here, here, news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. And I'm your host, Fred. Uh, today, we continue our Fest of Fright with Thrilling Tale of Terror by our neighbors of the Cape Cod Radio Mystery Theater. Well, um, neighbors, if you're um, up here in Portland, Maine, where uh, Radio Drama Revival originates at WMPG. Uh, anyhow, the story you're about to hear, um, you may have read about it a couple months ago. It was reviewed by Chris Duker, part of the Malleus column. It's The Buoy, a uh, chilling tale reminiscent of Edgar Allan Poe's The Pit and the Pendulum, story of an unsuspecting tourist who becomes caught in an unrelenting horror where his terror is answered only by the lonely call of the foghorn. And enjoy now the first half of The Buoy. It's a foggy night on old Cape Cod. A perfect night for a mystery. Tonight, Cape Cod Radio Mystery Theater presents a story of terror and suspense in a soundscape mystery thriller entitled The Buoy. Come with me now. I want to show you something. We're heading in, leaving Vineyard Sound behind us. Notice the foghorn. That'll be Nobska Point, somewhere over there on our right. Impossible to tell where it is exactly. But if you keep your eyes looking in that direction, you'll notice every now and then that the fog glows a little brighter each time the light in the lighthouse sweeps round. We're looking for something that should be coming up on our left. We're looking for a marker, a ledge, and a rock called Coffin Rock that more or less marks the entrance to the passage. Listen for a bell on our left, and further over there somewhere, a gong. Listen hard now. We'll see is this flat. There won't be much wave action to set them ringing. There's the bell buoy. More ahead of us than I thought. Slight correction in our course, and we should steer just to the right of her. Wake woke her up a bit. There's a gong, too, you hear? That's good. When you're navigating through a fog like this, it's always a great comfort to know that you know where you are. Now, keep our eye on the compass and follow a heading of exactly 300 degrees. It should take us directly into the mouth of the passage. This first part of the passage is called Broadway. Misnomer, like so many other names associated with the sea. We're running down a line of buoys now. Over there to the right of us is Woods Hole. Now, if we were to shave about 30 degrees off our present course, that would head us directly into Great Harbor. Over on the port side is Nanamesic, the first of the chain called the Elizabeth Islands that lie off the mainland, like paint that dribbled off the artist's brush. After Nanamesic comes Okatina, then Noshan, the biggest, then Pasque, then Nashawina, and last of all, Cuttyhunk. And without this passage here, you'd have to go around all six of them if you wanted to make it into Buzzard's Bay. 
Let me tell you what's up ahead, because we're not planning to go all the way through. Dead ahead of us is Penzance Point and the little island called Devil's Foot Island. It's there that the passage makes an abrupt swing to the left into a section of the channel known as the Strait. Off the foot of Devil's Foot Island is a buoy which has the rather prosaic name of buoy number three. Now, this is exactly the halfway point through the passage. Once you're in the strait, continue on for another 400 yards and then swing north at buoy number six, and it will lead you straight out into Buzzard's Bay. Do that, and you will have successfully navigated the Woods Hole Passage. We're slowing down now. Coming up on buoy number three, the one that I mentioned. Well, we've got a pocket of clear air ahead of us, which is good for what I want to show you. I'm going to shut the engine down altogether. And we'll hang back and be quiet. Watch to see what happens. You see the buoy up ahead of us? Tall, black against the fog. But if you put a light on her, you'd see she's painted green. Bright green. Listen. Do you hear it? There's a boat coming this way. A work boat for sure, too small to be a trawler. Most likely a lobster boat. There. Now you can see it. Coming out of the fog. Cutting across the rolling calm of dark water. She's heading for the buoy. There's a man at the bow with a line. Another at the wheelhouse. The third one standing up at the stern. The man at the wheel slips her into neutral. She glides the last 30 feet. The man at the bow slips a loop over the buoy as the boat slides past. The man at the stern does the same thing. They're working quietly now. Not a word spoken between them. The man at the bow moves back to help the others. They're lifting something out of the hold. Something heavy. Something moving. From this distance, it's hard to tell. It might be a fish, a large animal, a dolphin perhaps, anxious to be released. No, it's not that. Something else? Something arching, twisting its body like the contortions of a caterpillar inside a cocoon. One man's having trouble keeping hold of his end. He drops it. Drops it again. Now they've set the thing back down. The man who is at the wheelhouse has something in his hand. He raises it above his head and brings it down sharply. He lifts the thing once more, and this time there's no movement. No movement at all, except for the slight roll and pitch of the boat and the approving nod of the buoy as the men get on with their work. for a room for the night. I was hoping you might have one. Just for yourself? 
That's right. Well, we're practically full up. But if you want to wait, I'll make you up one of our spare rooms. Would you? Oh, that would be great. You can just sign the register. Thank you. Missed the ferry, did you? Mm, only by a little. <laughs> a little the same as a lot. You're not the first, and you won't be the last, Mr... Mr. Halpole. Now, if you have a car, you can move it round to the back. No, I took a cab. The bus was a little late getting in, and the taxi couldn't make up for it. Well, as I say, you're not the first, and you won't be the last. If you'd like to go in and warm yourself by the fire, I'll go and see to your room. Thanks. Help yourself to some brandy if you want it. It's in a bottle on the mantelpiece. Thank you. Thank you very much. Fire sure looks inviting. Do you mind if I join you? What? I said, do you mind if I join you by the fire? Join me? You want to join me? No, I, I don't mind. Oh, oh, it's a bit raw out there this evening. It's good to be in by a warm fire. Personally, I'd hate to be stuck out there without a place to spend... <coughs> My God! Are you all right? Cold. Oh, let me get you something. Do you need a doctor? Cold. I'll call a doctor. No, no. No, don't call. Oh, are you call. sure? It, it, it's all right. Would you like some brandy? Would that help? Yes, yes, brandy. Brandy, please. I'll join you if you don't mind. Here you are. Thank you. I really must apologize for my outburst, Mr... Halpole. Mr. Halpole. You see, I'm, I'm really not ill. It's just that I... I thought I was over something, and I i guess I'm a little chagrined to discover I'm not as over it as I thought. The fire does feel good, doesn't it? This is something that happened to you? Yes. Would you care to talk about it? I don't mean to pry. It's just that my profession has me convinced that it usually helps to talk. And what is your profession? I'm a counselor. A marriage counselor, actually, even though I've never been married. But then, lack of direct experience doesn't stop most of us from offering our advice on this subject. Just look around you and you see that's true. Yes, I suppose you're right. I... I'm really a good listener, Mr... Walcott. My name is Edward Walcott. Yes, I, I suppose you're right, Mr. Halpole. I, I suppose it would help me to talk about it. I had thought I was so past it all. After all, eighteen and one-half years is a long time, particularly when you've spent ten years of it in therapy. Tonight was to be a personal test, a chance to prove to myself that I had finally come to accept what happened to me. The truth is, Mr. Halpole, the body may survive, but it can take much longer for the soul the spirit, the psyche, call it what you will, to recover. Tell me, are you familiar with the term syzygy? Syzygy? No, I don't think so. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. Syzygy. It's a term in astronomy that refers to the alignment of the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun. It's a fairly common occurrence... It happens twice a month whenever there is a full moon or a new moon. 
But true syzygy is something else and much less common. It happens only when the alignment is perfect. That would be during a lunar eclipse. Very good, Mr. Halpole. That's exactly right. The Earth casts its shadow upon the moon because there is a direct line between the sun, the Earth, and the moon. But even then, true syzygy is only true, depending on where you are on the Earth. Do, do you understand why? Uh, I'm not sure. It's because the Earth is very large, you see, and also because the moon travels around the Earth on a tilt, an elliptic it's called. As the moon orbits around the Earth, sometimes it passes south of the equator, sometimes it sits right on the equator, and sometimes it passes north. For true syzygy to occur in the northern hemisphere in approximately the place we are now, then the alignment must take place while the moon is traveling north of the equator. And that occurrence is quite rare. In fact, the last time it occurred was October 29th, 18 and one half years ago. I recall myself standing on the public pier in my rain poncho with my suitcase beside me, watching the last of the big ships of the Steamship Authority making its majestic departure from the harbor. I stood there in the damp drizzle of things, thinking that I had been foolish to make my plans on the basis of a schedule that was two years out of date. There's always a kind of lost feeling that comes when you miss a boat, a sense of missed opportunities, I suppose. I felt in a strange way stranded, although why I should feel this way was puzzling since I was, after all, still standing on the mainland. Certainly the ferryboat showed no apparent remorse for leaving me behind as it jugged its way out of the harbor. Visible now in the fog, it gave one last taunting blast upon its horn, and I decided there were only two things left for me to do. Find a hot meal, then acquire a warm bed for the evening, preferably one not too far from where I would have to catch the ferry come morning. Woods Hole in the off-season is an out-of-the-way place, and there was not much to choose from. I wandered past one or two beer joints that were mostly deserted, and where I imagined that ordering a hot meal would be taking a definite gastronomic risk. I went around the corner to where that little channel cuts through into Eel Pond, and there I chose a small cafe that sits right alongside the drawbridge. The air inside was humid, and the windows were steamed, owing both to the atmospheric conditions and the heat coming out of the kitchen. I ordered coffee and a bowl of chili. My waitress was friendly enough, but she became guarded when I asked her about a place to spend the night. Did she think I was hoping she might offer me her own place? Perhaps she was right to think so, because perhaps a part of me was lonely and hoping she would. I finished my meal and decided to walk just a bit before heading the half mile up the road to the motel she recommended. The drizzle had stopped. The fog was beginning to move around in a light wind. 
I looked down at the fresh mat of yellow maple leaves that showed up so brilliantly under the street lamps. I even remember stopping and watching a few of them float down the rivulet of water that ran down the gutter to the storm sewer. My feeling was melancholy. I passed the fisherman's dock and noticed two fishermen standing close together smoking cigarettes. They dropped them in the water as I approached and went back to their work, which appeared to be repairing something on the dock. I turned around at this point and headed for the motel because I suddenly had the idea that I might not be able to get a room. <laughs> which was silly, of course, and I realized it immediately as I looked around and reminded myself of how deserted this town was at this season of the year. Of course, I had no difficulty whatsoever getting a room. I was giving the end room off a motor court, and I settled down pretty much immediately to read in bed until I fell asleep. I fell asleep with the light on. Then I remember, sometime later, waking up enough to reach over and switch it off. Then, I'm not sure how much time passed... I remember waking up to a sound that was gone by the time I was fully awake. I lay in the room and listened. I heard a car or two go by. I listened to the ticking of the clock. I heard voices coming from outside the door. There was something about them that was menacing, like burglars in the night. I should have acted right then. I didn't. Instead, I allowed the chain on the door and the warmth of my bed covers to lull me into a false sense of security, to convince me that all I really needed to do was to lie there and listen. I sat up on my elbows. They burst in upon me. What's going on? I was thrust what, down upon the bed this? before I could get free of the covers. What are you doing? Wait! Wait! Help! Help me! All of my reactions were too slow. Every one of them. My memory is unclear on what happened next. I feel fairly certain that I must have been taken somewhere in the trunk of a car. Vaguely, I remember the ride out in the lobster boat. I don't believe I came fully awake again until I felt myself being hoisted in the arms of two of them. I saw the dark water over the side of the boat, and I thought for certain I was about to be thrown overboard. I struggled. I did my best to prevent them, but they overpowered me once again. Anyway, as it turned out, that wasn't what they had in mind at all. When I regained consciousness a second time, I found myself floating out in the water strapped to a buoy. My body had been placed inside a large burlap sack which was drawn up around my neck. My weight was resting on the narrow lip of the buoy on which I was just barely able to set my heels. There were numerous straps holding me across my chest, my abdomen, my thighs, and my ankles. In addition, there were several ropes tied in such a way to prevent me from wriggling either upwards or downwards to slip free. My mouth was securely taped as it had been since the motel room. The only parts of me that I could move with any freedom were my hands, moving only from the wrists and my head, which I could swivel from side to side. 
My first realization as I looked around somewhat frantically was that I was alone out here. Turning my head as far as I could and peering out into the limits of the fog, I saw no one around me. Neither did I hear any sounds that would indicate someone was close by. I tried calling to no avail. I struggled against my restraints but quickly realized how useless that would be. It was obvious I had been brought out here and left. That was the inescapable conclusion. But why? For what reason? And who would want to play such a horrible practical joke? Roughly handled, I had been seized in my sleep, taken out and strapped to a buoy. Obviously, it was no one I knew or could have known, as there was no doubt of my being a complete stranger in town. And yet, clearly, someone expected me to spend a very uncomfortable night bobbing around on a buoy, and I had not the slightest comprehension of why. Was it to teach me a lesson? In my mind, I retraced the entire evening and re-examined every face I had seen. It seemed there were only two possibilities. The first having to do with the waitress in the restaurant. Had I offended her more than I thought? Or was it more likely that a jealous boyfriend had been sitting at another table and had misinterpreted what he saw? Was I a case of mistaken identity? Or did he, out of his own jealous paranoia, suspect me to be some secret lover with whom his girlfriend had been carrying on a clandestine relationship? Or was it the incident on the dock? The two men I had seen hurry back to work as I approached. Did my observing them make them think I had seen something? Something I shouldn't? And did they decide to do this to me as a warning? To throw a scare into me? To, to teach me not to poke my nose into other people's business? The fact that I had been brought out here in a lobster boat suggested this choice was correct. Although it was also possible that the jealous boyfriend, if there was one, was a local fisherman who who are known to have hot and fiery tempers. The encircling fog made me feel lost and disoriented as though I were very far out to sea. And yet, the sounds that reached my ears, the faint surf, the foghorn, the church bells, which I recognized, told me that I must still be relatively close to shore. I tried to assess the danger I was in. Unless someone came back to cause me further harm... I seemed destined to spend the night riding this buoy, coping with the cold until someone else, most likely in the light of day, came by and spotted me. I knew a little about buoys. I was aware that they come in different sizes and shapes, some with flashing lights, some with bells that ring, and some with metal rods that clang with every action of the waves. The buoy I was riding on had no lights or bells. It was a plain enclosed cylinder... Like an oil drum, and it seemed to be quite large. I estimated its length to be at least 14 feet above water. It never occurred to me to ask myself why it was necessary to use such a large buoy so close into land. Time passed. Perhaps no more than ten minutes. I listened to the foghorn and stared down at the shiny black water. Looking up, I noticed that here and there in places overhead, the fog was beginning to break open and allow small patches of stars to poke through. I heard the groan of the anger chain beneath me. Something sluggish, a faint tremor. Not, nothing more. 
We drifted. Then, once more, something stirring, something waking up. I listened. It was quiet, followed by. The effect of these sounds was quite damaging upon my nerves, upon my reason. When I began to think clearly again, I realized that nothing had changed. Nothing. Except for one thing. Where before the result of my weight hanging off one side of the buoy had had little effect in causing us to lean to one side, I now looked down and noticed. For the first time, I noticed that my toes were underwater. I looked down at the surface of the water more carefully, and where before I had seen nothing but a flaccid calm like a mill pond, I could now detect a definite dimpling to the surface. The water was moving. Through my back, I could feel a slight shiver of vibration running up the chain, being amplified by the air inside the chamber of the buoy and making itself felt all up and down my spine. A current was running, which meant the tide was turning. That was all. Nothing to be nervous about. I looked about me and noticed that everywhere the fog was breaking up, disintegrating, opening up gaps along the waterline so that in places I could see all the way to shore. As it continued, it was like the rising of a curtain. But suddenly I could see where I was. I could see I was much closer in than I realized. I could actually make out a dark shoreline encroaching on both sides. There appeared to be an open stretch of water directly in front. Or was was it only an inlet? Difficult to tell. The land on both sides seemed to meet in the middle, and yet the water swirling past my feet was flowing in that direction, flowing as if there must be a way out. Then I realized what it was—a channel. That was it. It had to be. This was a channel. And the buoy I was riding on was put there to mark the passage. The tide was going out. That was all. I made this simple observation and then put it out of my mind. Instead, I, I concentrated on the fact that the fog was lifting. Already, I could see lights from the town reflected across the water. I could see more and more stars up above. The constellations, the Big Dipper standing on its handle in the north. 
the Pleiades and Cassiopeia overhead. I looked around at all I could see, and I felt better. I felt comforted. Seeing was so much better than being lost in the fog. And not only seeing, but being seen. For now I believe that my chances of being found and rescued were greatly increased. Time passed. Fifteen minutes. Twenty minutes. I gritted my teeth against the cold and felt determined to ride out this miserable night. Still, I failed to comprehend my predicament. I believed that whatever danger I faced lay above the surface. I had not yet come to realize that the real danger lay below. Not until another groan of the anchor chain brought me around to the fact that several things had changed. The movement and turbulence of the water was now much more apparent. The dimpling on the surface had become a definite ripple all around, and the dark water welling up in the backwash behind the buoy showed me something of the currents down below. The buoy itself had begun to move with the current, side to side swaying like the motion of a snake, coupled with an up and down movement like a hobby horse. More strain upon the chain. I could feel that. But as more the angle at which we were leaning had increased, and the water, which had only once covered my toes, was now reaching above my shins. For the first time that night, I went a little wild with terror. I struggled like a madman against the ropes. I hurt myself trying to loosen them. But when my strength gave out and I collapsed in exhaustion, I could feel they were not one fraction looser than before. And that was the first half of The Buoy, A Tale of Terror by Cape Cod Radio Mystery Theater, ccrmt.com. And next week, we'll be hearing the conclusion of that tale. Uh, and after that, we'll have an interview with horror master Joe R. Lansdale, uh, who penned God of the Razor, as well as some excerpts of God of the Razor. And then, of course, we have our live um, Halloween special, 9 to 11 p.m. on Hallow- All Hallows' Eve, um, live on wmpg.org. It also will be available on the podcast starting uh, the day thereafter, Day of the Dead, about midnight. Uh, meanwhile, um, if you can't wait for more, check out the blog, RadioDramaRevival.com. In addition to a handy link to subscribe to the podcast, you'll find all of the previous episodes, scattered bits of audio drama news, articles, and spectacular reviews as part of the Malleus series by Chris Duker. And uh, while you're there, why not leave a comment or two? Um, you can also find us on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. And that wraps it up for this week. Uh, Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.